Welcome to Relationships Reclaimed, where we talk about anything and everything relationship-related with Ariane and Vicki. Okay, lovely listeners, welcome back to Relationships Reclaimed. So today's a little bit of a different episode for two reasons. First off, we are missing Vicky. Unfortunately, Vicky came down with a migraine at the last minute and has is not able to be here with me. So we're sending Vicky a lot of love as we record this. Um, and the second reason this is a different episode is we have an amazing guest today. Uh, the person that is joining me is Jen Huber. She is a registered dietitian and a naturopathic doctor, and she goes by the menopause nutritionist on Instagram and in her life. So Jen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. So listeners, we're actually going to talk about relationships. So, so Jen, you talk about a whole bunch of different things, right? On, um, your like in your business mostly with regards to food perimenopause and menopause is that correct yeah okay and so listeners what we're actually going to talk about today is relationship with undieting yeah which i'm so in love with this because i really feel like so for me jen you're the only one that i've ever heard talk about undieting okay wow Yes. And I mean, maybe that's not, that's just my experience, but I've never heard that word before. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, yep, definitely. I'm in. I, I love you already. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering, um, first of all, can, can you explain to our listeners what you mean by that? Oh, I would love to. Yeah. So explain, I'll explain just a little bit of the back story yeah. that I'm I'm a dietitian but I'm what we like to refer to as a non-diet dietitian. So I um incorporate intuitive eating, the principles of intuitive eating into my practice, helping people to make decisions about food and kind of reframe their relationship with food. A big part of that culture is what I would call the anti-diet culture, meaning like resisting the the food rules and you know kind of pushing back against diet culture and wellness culture that tries to co-opt our relationship with food and make it all about either weight loss or wellness or you know this hierarchy of decisions around food right which is all fine and good but if you are like me and so many of the people that I work with who have come from a lifetime of dieting a lifetime of participating knowingly and unknowingly in diet and wellness culture, it's not as easy as just flicking a switch and saying, okay, I'm going to go from diet to anti-diet. And that is where I think the term undieting fits in, in that in order to be able to make that shift, we have to undiet your beliefs about food, your beliefs about health, your beliefs about your body, your beliefs about what you should and shouldn't do. And that's a process. It's not a switch. right? Um, And so it really resonated with me because it kind of described this, okay, I have to unlearn. I have to unlearn not only what I was taught as a dietitian 25 years ago. Um, but, you know, and because so much has changed in the in the world of nutrition science, but really just kind of what I had come to believe was true for everyone, not just me. And 
that's not always the case anymore. So I like to think of undieting as kind of the unlearning and the unraveling that if you're going to rebuild a relationship with food, you kind of have to start with the foundations. You can't just like paint the walls and change the curtains. Yeah. I love that because it isn't just that switch that is flipped. Like you, I mean, it would be lovely if it was, Yeah. but it's really not. And I imagine it's such a process. And you said that you had to actually learn something different too than what your original training was. And yeah. wondering what are, can you share with, me and our listeners, what, how come you decided to do that? So I think that a lot of people, well, we now know that many people who go into the field of nutrition do so because of their own disordered relationships with food. And that was definitely the case for me. Um, You know, I went into nutrition because I wanted to fix myself because I thought I was broken. And I thought if I became an expert in nutrition, that, um, that that would fix me and I could fix everyone else. Um, Of course, what I came out with was a fair amount of still remaining disordered eating. Um, And and at the time, again, dating myself. So I I studied nutrition from 95 to 99 at Acadia University in Nova Scotia. And at the time, the low fat craze was still reigning supreme. We were still very much in the like low fat, no fat. I remember doing a poster presentation on Alestra, which had just come out. Like there was a lot of fear around fat and Mm -hmm. food and those kinds of things. So I kind of came out very much indoctrinated into that. But then I went on to study naturopathic medicine, which was, you know, which I love. It's, you know, I think it's, it's one of the things that I, that I love that I do, but it was also very entrenched in wellness culture. Um, it's very entrenched in the food is medicine model. And I, I, I now know that I think all of that does more harm than good, because as much as I would love for us to be able to slot people into categories and assign them rules and assign them diets and plans and lists of what to eat and what not to eat, that's not how humans have relationships with food. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy as eat this and not that. Right. Yeah. Because the decision making process that goes into what do I want? What do I have? What do the people around me need and want? Um, you know, is this the right decision today? Is this what my body wants today? All of those are the nuances that you can't fit into a meal plan. So that's and, so true. Yeah. And yeah. so in order for us to have a relationship with food that is healthy, it needs to be flexible and it needs to be forgiving and it can't be rigid, which is what I think we all were aspiring to 30 years ago in the food and nutrition world is we were looking for the way that everyone should eat. We were culturally insensitive. We were telling everyone to eat the food pyramid or the food guide. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were telling you know, cultures that had eaten white rice forever, that, that it was bad, that it, they should be eating brown rice. And so we've learned a lot. And part of that has been my own undieting. Um, but part of it has also been being able to appreciate the parts of our relationships with food that can't be measured, that are intangible, but that still have value. Can you say more about that piece? The parts that are intangible? Yes. So I think one of the best ways to highlight that is to talk about satisfaction. So in intuitive eating, we talk about um, honoring hunger and fullness, obviously, as physical cues, but letting satisfaction be the guide. And this is one of the things that I teach people as part of the undieting process is that 
If you are trying to honor your hunger and fullness cues, but you are only honoring them based on meeting your nutritional needs or only eating the things that you think you should, but don't necessarily want and ignoring the things that you do want or ignoring taste hunger, which is wanting to eat something just because it tastes good. You will never be satisfied. Yes. And satisfaction is what I call the secret sauce because it's very difficult to stop eating when you're full if you're not satisfied. You can be full and still want something. It's why we find ourselves at the kitchen cupboard after supper when we've eaten a perfectly fine meal. I know I can totally relate to that. Like I'm sure a lot of people can. I'm not that. I'm like raising my hand here. Yes, absolutely. Um, So another intangible piece is, you know, what I call or what those of us in this um, area call food joy, which is just the excitement that comes from eating something that you like or that you want. It's the croissant in Paris. Um, You know, it's, it's that experience of having joy and pleasure and satisfaction around what you're eating Mm -hmm. and not necessarily thinking about the nutrition and you know, that's not to say that the nutrition doesn't matter, because I always say that, of course, nutrition matters, but just not in the way that we've been led to believe. And we have to hold room for the intangibles of joy and satisfaction and pleasure and novelty and excitement um, in our relationship with food in order for the rest of it to work. Mm-hmm. We can't continually be satis- uh, sacrificing satisfaction in the name of nutrition. Yeah, I love that because I know from even my own experience um, because I dieted forever. I tried every diet and then I would go on lots of cleanses because I actually was quite sick for a long time and we were trying to figure out what was going on. And so everything became so restricted in my world and it just, it just wrecked my relationship with food, like completely wrecked it. Control creates craving every time. Yeah. And I just felt so deprived and I didn't, I hated food. I was like, I just hate food. I just, it was just not a joy for me. And I, I still struggle. So that part about how you said it's not just a switch that's flipped because I still daily, like I have this understanding of like intuitive eating because I actually had to work on my relationship with food a number of years ago. And I still go back to the whole like, um, oh, I've gained weight. So that means I've got to like, really curb what I eat or, and then I go into that mindset and then I catch myself. Yeah. And then I forget about the joy. I forget about how, what it tastes like, like certain foods or um, the intuitive eating. I'm, I'm pretty good at the intuitive eating, but then I can fall, I not fall off the wing because I don't like that word or that phrase, but I, I just misstep a little bit. I, I get lost in all of the noise. Right. Yeah. And it's a, And it's easy to get lost in the noise because the noise is still the dominant conversation. Um, And, you know, so it does require an intentional sidestep to to try and Mm -hmm. walk that intuitive eating non-diet path while still, you know, especially if you're trying to navigate health, um, if you have health challenges or if you have a um, situation or someone in your family that, you know, let's say you live with diabetic um, or, you know, where you, you still have to have conversations about food, but you're trying to do so in a way that's a bit more flexible and forgiving than you've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it definitely can be challenging. And I mean, when I work with people, I often tell them, like, you really have to give yourself at least a year mm. 
have to go through every major holiday, birthday, stressful event, you know, those kinds of things in order to see where that default programming is showing up. You know, is it every January you get, you know, prompted? I don't want to use the word triggered, but, you know, you're, you're prompted to try and start a new diet or is it every September you feel the urge to get back on track or when you pull your clothes out in the summer and they feel a little bit tighter, do you kind of go into that spiral of bad body thoughts, you know, all that kind yes. of stuff. Yeah. And that makes sense because if you think of culturally, like what we do as a, as, as a system, um, like you said, January, it's like, that's kind of like the new year's resolutions where everyone gets on the whole, like, I'm going to like lose weight or I'm going to work out or I'm going to right, And then that is that mindset. And to go through those experiences to learn what I guess would be a programmed. Yeah. And so I describe that. So there's the diet cycle, which is a well-known series of events that happens whenever we are prompted to lose weight or something prompts us to believe that we have to change our body. And when that happens, many of us, I'm not going to say all, but many of us, our default programming tells us that we have to start controlling our food, start a new diet, you know, go to the gym. Right. And initially, that feels really good. It's exciting. It's novel. It mm-hmm. feels like we're doing something. We've taken action. And even if we've done it 100 times before, our brain is programmed to get excited by that possibility of change. Right. And it's like, I'm, it's going to work. Oh, yeah. This time I've got this. I'm doing something just a little bit different. It's going to work this time. But invariably, as humans, we don't like to do the same thing all the time. We don't like to follow rules and we don't like to feel deprived. That's kind of built into our brain is, you know, if we feel like we don't have reliable access to food, if we feel like we can't choose what we want, we rally against it. And so even when it feels exciting and good initially, that deprivation starts to get old really quickly. And eventually we kind of, quote unquote, give in. Um, and there's a relief in that giving in as well initially, but then we start to feel bad about that again and yeah. we are in that diet cycle. So in order to get into the undieting cycle, we actually have to recognize what those prompts are. We have to recognize what the default programming is and we have to have the systems and supports in place to be able to pause and reflect. Just mm-hmm. like you you know you mentioned about how when you feel like your body has changed, you might have that initial prompt to think, "Oh, I need to control what I'm eating." Yeah. When you're in the undieting cycle, you you have the tools and support to be able to say, "Okay, wait a minute. Where's that thought coming from? Mm-hmm. Why is that part of my default programming?" Yeah. Right? That if my body has changed, it's because I've done something wrong. Where did that come from? Right? You know, and so and so being able to recognize that human bodies change um, and that we, you know, I always say a human body is a changing body and that we don't always have as much control over what our body looks like on the inside or the outside yeah. as we've been led to believe by diet culture. And it's interesting because that word control, like as a therapist, <laughs> what I see in a lot of my clients and I can recognize this in myself is there is a need to control because when we actually feel that we don't have control, we go into strategy, right? Like controlling is actually a strategy to bind some sort of anxiety. And so what I do, cause I work with women who um, can struggle with body image as well. And so what we do is we learn, I help them understand what's actually going on underneath the body image issues. It's not really about the body image. It's what you're believing about yourself in the middle of that place where your body is changing or doesn't look how you think it should look or you want it to look, 
right? And usually it's the whole, I'm not good enough or I'm not enough. And so then we do these things to prove that we're enough, but they don't, it doesn't work because we're not actually looking at what's going on underneath it. Yeah. And it's very similar to the work that I do around um, body image. And, you know, when, when we believe as women that in order to feel good about our bodies, we have to have a positive body image right, that right. we need to be working on liking and loving our bodies. Mm-hmm. When in fact, we need to be working more towards body neutrality, which is not letting our body image drive our self-esteem bus. Right. You know, so that if you have a bad body day, which happens mm-hmm. just like we have bad hair days, right? Yeah. You know, if you have a bad hair day, you throw a hat on and you leave and you go about your day. You don't let it take over. Mm -hmm. But if you have a bad body image day, it often takes over and it consumes you and it spills over into every aspect of your life. And you believe that there is something wrong with you. Yeah. Like inherently wrong with you. Inherently wrong with you. And, you know, working on body image is fine. But what we really need to work on is making our bodies less important. Mm-hmm. You know, who I am as a person and who, you know, and the, and the inherent value that I bring to, you know, my family and the world and the people that I work with and all that kind of stuff and all of those things have nothing to do with what my body looks like. Right. So if my body changes, my perception of myself doesn't change because those things haven't changed. Yeah. And that is, I think, the, the hardest part of undieting for so many women in midlife is that they have spent their entire lives trying to make their body what they love to make their body something that they are proud of that reflects who they are to the world. Right. And we don't have a hundred percent control over that. No, no. Even, even as you say that, I'm like, Oh, I just want a hundred percent control over it. Especially because I'm in the throes of perimenopause. My body has been changing and it's, and I, and that it's the first time where I've been like, I have no control over what's happening. Yeah. Right. Like there is something going on that I have no control over. And I went through like this anger phase, this really pissed off phase. I've been pissed off at men (laughs) because they don't go through this in the way that we do. Um, It's just been this really crazy roller coaster for me. And I've been like, okay, where's the grace for myself here? So it's been it's been a journey and it's still it's still a journey. And when I hear you talking, it sounds like what the word that comes to me is grace, like finding grace for those, for ourselves, for our bodies, for what, what we do, right? Like when I think about what, what we go through, what we experience, our bodies are quite amazing and we should just be like really, and our listeners, my listeners are probably going to be like, you're so contradictory when I say this, I feel like we should be very grateful because I have an issue with gratitude. (laughs) We need to embody it, people, not just like say the words, not lip service. We need to embody and feel, get that felt sense of like gratitude. Because I know there's moments where I actually, I can slow my life down from, which is hard for me. I slow down and I'm like, what do I, what am I experiencing right now in my body? And then I can sit in such gratitude and embody it and like have my hands on my body and just be almost like crying. And being like, holy shit, like, thank you for all that. Thank you for getting me through all the shit that I've been through. Thank you for putting up with the shit that I put you through. <laughs> yeah. Because no, I, but I, it's true. It's yeah. 100% true. 
because I be I have said terrible things about my body, worse things about my body than anyone would, you know. And then it comes so hard on ourselves, so hard, so hard on ourselves, yeah, so hard. And so when you when you have a client who is in that place where they want to lose weight, and where does that fit in with the undieting piece? So I always try and back it up and say, why do you want to lose weight? Mm-hmm. What do you think losing weight will accomplish, give you, get you? So that I can understand the why. Yeah. And 99% of the time, it's I want to feel good in my body. Yeah. I want to feel good in my clothes. I want to feel good just, you know, and how I interact in the world. Sometimes it's bigger than that. And I don't want to feel judged. I don't want to, you know, face stigma, which is a real thing for people in larger bodies. And sometimes it's, I've been told I need to for my health. Yeah. So I always try and kind of back it up a little bit and say, we can do all of those things, regardless of whether the scale moves or not. Mm -hmm. So the undieting process is recognizing that weight loss is not a proxy for health. And when we're making weight loss, the goal Mm-hmm. It undermines our efforts for actual health. Mm. So, um, and the example that I often use is, let's say, for example, you're you decide that you want to go on a hike, and you've signed up for this hike, and you show up there, and the person says, "Yep, we're here for nature. We're going to walk around the forest. We're going to take in the birds and the plants and the air and all that kind of stuff." But there's also all these golden eggs that are hidden. And if you find a golden egg, well, you, you know, everyone will notice that you have the golden egg and you'll win the prize. And I'll give you hints along the way where you can find these eggs. So even if you just showed up for the hike and to spend time in nature, you are now distracted Mm -hmm. by looking for these golden eggs. Yeah. Even if it's not what you wanted, if you haven't found a golden egg by the time you get to the end of the hike, you feel disappointed. You feel like you've lost out on something. And the same is true when we start implementing health behaviors, because weight is not a behavior, but we can implement behaviors that influence our health. The same is true when we start influ- implementing health behaviors, but we're making weight loss the measure of success or failure. So whether that's eating more plants, whether that's cooking more at home, whether that's building a balanced plate, whether that's moving your body, whether that's getting more sleep, whether whatever it is, if you're making weight loss the goal that is the the litmus test of pass or fail, it is going to be very hard to continue wanting to do that if the scale doesn't move. Right. But the scale isn't required to move in order to benefit from those behaviors. Right. So when people have come in and it happens all the time, even though people know that the work that I do is around kind of non-diet health, they're like, yeah, 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 but right. <laughs> I still want to lose weight. And so I'll say, I get it. I 100% get it. But let's really break down why. Mm-hmm. And let me help you see that there are so many other ways to get the things you want and to have a little bit more grace yeah. for the body that you're in today, regardless of the number that a scale has assigned it. Right. So it's looking at the why yeah, and helping them lean more into that in a healthy way. Would you say just in a in a more flexible way? Flexible way. That's a beautiful word. Yes. In a more resilient way. Yes. You know, because diet culture is all about all or nothing. 
right? It's very black and white, isn't it? It's very black and white and structured and strict. And if you, you know, in diet culture, 99% isn't good enough. Oh, God. Um, anything yeah. less than 100% is failure. And that's an impossible standard to hold for anything, but let alone your relationship with food, where you have to make decisions about food multiple times a day, every day of your life, and often for other people. Yeah. So how can we ever tell someone you have to eat perfectly and you have to do this all the time in order for it to be worth it? Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. It is. It's so interesting because when I think about, you know, just even scrolling through Instagram, right. And see, right. You're like, your eyes went up. Right. And I, I, right. <laughs> Did they? That was automatic. Yes. I love it. No, I love it because it shows like your experience is probably a similar one to mine and possibly others. It's, it's, you're, I mean, I'm inundated, inundated with, with everything health related, mostly food and exercise. And it's so black and white. And then I go in, I start to spin. Like I get sucked in really quickly. Right. And it's so easy to do that. And I, I'm like, I just, I'm just, I just need to shut it off. Right. And so, but there's such a culture out there still around this. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, and it, like you said, it's like, it's, it's so black and white. There's no flexibility. There's no flexibility and you can't, you can't succeed. You just can't. So it's, it's honestly like setting yourself up for failure. Right. Absolutely. Ahead of time. And it yeah. just and I mean, it's not just failure. It's setting yourself up for obsession. Yes. Um, yes. It is setting yourself up for guilt and shame and criticism and indecision and mm. doubt. All of those things were daily occurrences when I was trying to eat perfectly. Right. Right. Is this the right thing? Should I have this now or should I wait half an hour? Did I have too much protein or did I not have enough protein? Have I had eight servings of fruits and vegetables? Did I have any kale today? Like, you know, all of that is not necessary. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's the thing that um, what I love about intuitive eating is that it it allows you to still want to make decisions about food that have a positive impact on your health, but it takes the power away from the objective information that is so easy to become obsessive about. Yes. Everything you said there about what it actually does, right? The obsessive piece around it. Um, it's interesting because my therapeutic brain goes into like, oh, wow, like, I wonder how familiar that is for for people like and so, and we always gravitate towards what's familiar. So if we're, we're, if, if guilt and shame and obsession is a familiar place for us based on things we experienced in our childhood, we will gravitate towards that. And really it's not, it doesn't work, yep. you know, like therapeutically. I mean, think of how many Thanksgiving dinners uh, include adults apologizing for what they're eating. Yeah. Or think of how many times you see an adult having an ice cream saying that they're being bad. Right. Yes. Or, you know, how often do we see people labeling foods that taste good as treats? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so that's all part of the default programming that we have to undiet. Yeah. Um, you know, I always tell people that we want to get to a place that I kind of best describe as food neutrality. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, we all need to eat. Yeah. And, you know, what we eat should, our, our health never hangs in the balance of a meal. It never hangs in the balance of what you eat on vacation or the salad you didn't eat because you wanted French fries. Um, it's about, you know, patterns and choices, but it doesn't require perfection. And so when we start thinking about how do we start undieting those beliefs around food, it often does come down to changing family beliefs around food. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, because so many people have grown up in families where not only was it just dieting, but it was moralization of food. Mm-hmm. Um, food is good or bad and you're a good or bad person based on what you eat. Yes. Um, growing up feeling judged for what you're eating, especially if you're in a larger body, which we know is about 70% genetically determined. Um, you know, so there's so that's why I say like, it's not a switch. I would love for it to be a switch, but undieting is a process and it's a series. It's like a, it's like the layers of an onion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when I have the privilege of working with people over long periods of time, years, even you see those layers of the onion coming apart and memories coming up from, oh, you know, wow. their childhood Yeah, where they're like, Oh, that's why I have this fear, or this belief. Yeah. Um, you know, and you have to see it. You can't change what you can't see. Yeah. And if you can't see your default programming around food, reading a book and following a set of principles is never going to feel real. It's never going to feel intuitive. It's going to feel scary because it's what you don't know and you can't see what you need to change. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Okay, so we've talked about you've mentioned intuitive eating a few times and I'm wondering, can you share a little bit more about that? I, I love it. I love so yes. intuitive eating is a framework for eating. It was initially developed by uh, Evelyn Tribley and Elise Reich for two dietitians from California, I believe. Um, their book is now in the fourth edition. But more importantly, there's over 100 studies that have been published really supporting kind of the principles or the ethos of intuitive eating, which is rejecting the diet mentality, rejecting the idea that we have to control and count and measure and portion everything that we eat, rejecting the idea that we can't trust our bodies to know when and what and how much to eat and developing that interoceptive awareness or attunement to be able to listen to hunger, respond to hunger with, you know, not just attunement, but compassion, um, honoring fullness, satisfaction, like I talked about, but then also, you know, bringing in the pieces of honoring genetics, um, you know, welcoming joyful movement for reasons other than just managing that calorie in calorie out equation and still being able to have conversations around gentle nutrition, which is how can I choose intentionally and mindfully with my health in mind and how my body feels without getting caught up in the conversations around weight. Mm, So there are 10 principles. Um, there's a, an intuitive eating training program for professionals and, um, which is one of the things that I've done. Um, and it's just such a, I think it's a breath of fresh air in the nutrition community. And thankfully there are, are more and more intuitive eating counselors growing all the time. Yes. I, what you said about trusting the body, Yeah, I, that, that is, um, I think really key as well. Yeah. 
body trust, body respect, and body kindness, I think yeah. are the, the three things that um, undieting requires because it's what diet culture tells you. Um, you, you know, diet culture tells us we can't trust our body. Yeah. Um, you know, diet culture tells us that. Which is such a betrayal. Yeah. It really. Is. And, and I think that deep down people know that they feel that. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't feel good to ignore your hunger. It doesn't feel good to say no to foods that you enjoy mm-hmm. um, and eat things that you don't. Yeah. It's a superficial feeling. You know? Yeah, it is. It's a, yes, it makes the relationship very superficial. Yeah. Right. And I think that when we can actually go into the depth of it and, and connect with ourselves, that's where we actually feel a sense of satisfaction as well. Right. Yeah. That connection. And we're all so disconnected. So disconnected. Right. Yes. And I, I know that that's, I can be that way as well. So I, I, I say this not from a judgmental place, but from an experiential place as well. Um, I know for me, I didn't know what hunger really was. I had to learn that. And I worked with someone who did the intuitive eating piece and, um, really helped me with a lot of my relationship with food. And it was quite fascinating. The first thing she did though was I had to restrict some things and I was like, I think I said to her, I actually hate you right now. <laughs> and cause I had already been so restricted and I was like, I don't want to hear that anymore, but there was a reason behind it. And at the time I couldn't see the reasoning. And, um, so yeah, it was just really interesting. And she was like, I want you to get used to eat, like knowing what your hunger signals are. Yeah. And I was like, because I could literally eat a handful, like maybe less than a handful of nuts and be like, oh, I'm full. But yeah. I was doing, and you know, I think it was like the whole eat six meals a day or small meals or, and I had conditioned because of my life circumstances had conditioned myself to be able to go days without eating, mm-hmm. um, which is not in my mind, not healthy, you know, and it wasn't healthy for me. And so I learned. And so now it's really interesting. I was just talking to a client the other day. I was telling them about how for me, I can, so when I go through really stressful periods, I lose my appetite and I struggle to eat, but mm-hmm. I now understand the hunger signals. Yeah. There's a difference for me. I'm like, okay, I understand the hunger signals. I know I don't have an appetite. There's a hunger signal. And so I'm going to eat and Absolutely. I'm going to really have to tap in hard to figure out what I'm going to eat. And if that means it's just protein shakes, because that's all I can get in me right now, because I have so much, this huge amount of stress then that's enough right now. And it was just like grace for me. And I was like, okay. Yeah. No, that's totally. Okay. Yeah. And I think that planned eating is, you know, you're, you're totally right. Hunger and appetite can be two very different things. Yeah. Right. Um, and losing your appetite is losing your interest in eating, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that your body has any less need for nourishment. Yes. Yes. And nourishing my, the body is loving. Yeah. So it's stepping into this loving relationship, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's what I've been learning and really focusing on for myself. And I mean, I help a lot of my, cause I work with a lot of women and I help them step into loving relationship with themselves. And so that is a, a big piece of it too. And, um, and I, you know, I have a lot of friends too, who still struggle with their talk. They talk about Mac, Mac, Mac. Oh my gosh. Macros and micros and yeah. macro counting. Oh my gosh. I, my head almost goes like wants to explode because I think I Mine totally. don't have the capacity. Yeah. I don't have the capacity for that. And I can't imagine being in that place anymore. And I feel for them. 
And I know that that's their journey and I'm not going to judge it. I just hope for something for different for them someday. Yeah. No, it's, I just, I'm like, no, I can't. I can't do But it. everybody has to get there in their own place, right? They do. You, can't, um, you can only, what's the saying? You can only lead a horse to water. You can't force it to drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is so, so true. It's, um, yeah, it's quite, um, it's quite a, a, a journey, you know, and like it you is. said, and that's, that's absolutely it. And I think that's where the grace comes in is that, um, you know, I think that it's great when people get inspired by a mm-hmm. podcast or a book or a blog post and they want to change. But I think that they, I think it can be hard to appreciate that undying journey and yeah. how much has to be unlearned yeah. in order for it to feel safe because it gets scary, lots of scary moments in it. And, yeah. you know, if you're not supported, prepared, if you don't have the tools in your toolbox to manage that, it's really easy to just say, oh, this doesn't work, right? This isn't for me. Mm -hmm. I need the rules. I need the structure. But, you know, that's making a decision based on fear. And that's never a confident place to make a decision. And especially with something like food, Mm -hmm. you want it to feel from a place, come from a place that's comfortable. You want to trust. You want to be able to know that, that it's intuitive, right? Because again, we have to make decisions about food many times a day, every day of our life. We shouldn't have to think about it all the time. Right. We don't have to think about breathing all the time. We don't have to think about going to the bathroom. Yeah. Usually, Um, (laughs) you know, so it, and the same is true for food. We should just be able to trust that we have the tools to be kind and respectful um, and nourish our body in whatever way it needs in the moment, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. I love that. That is, I mean, that just comes back to that word grace, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. And one thing that you really, that you said that really caught my attention is that to help us feel safe, right? That, cause that's a big piece, especially because it's such a layered relationship, Right. As you said before, it has a lot to do with like what we learned, what our families um, experienced, our, our, you know, like what we saw, what we experienced ourselves. And there has to be some level of safety in order for us to actually make change. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, and it comes down to trust, too. I mean, so many women get to the stage in life feeling betrayed by their bodies. Yeah. Um, feeling like I have taken care of you and worked you, you know, my whole life. Why are you doing this to me now? Mm-hmm. And so there's this, you know, antagonistic relationship. And so, you know, that that trust takes time to build. Yeah. Um, and you often have to work through the fear um, yeah. in order to feel like you're in a, a safe and comfortable relationship with your body. Yes. Do you work mainly with women? Have you ever ever worked with men in the undieting? Because I know you're the you know menopause yeah. nutritionist, but I do occasionally. I do, yeah. Um, but I would say that ninety nine percent of of my work is is women, yeah, uh, or people who identify as women, yeah. um, or you know people who have uteruses, just because of the nature of that intersection with um, menstruation and menopause. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I definitely have have worked with men as well, often partners. Um, Occasionally we'll do family sessions, which is really neat. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. When yeah. families are are working oh. on their relationship together. Um, I do love that too. 
Yes, I love that too. I love that that concept and that idea because you're working on it as a system and probably yeah. breaking a lot of the family system overarching rules. Yeah. Right. That's so amazing. And sometimes what I what I really love is when you have two two parents who maybe have a conflicting um, values around food because of course they grew up in different family units and structures and they're trying to learn something new together. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I think that that is such a, I think it's such a breath of fresh air in the world of family nutrition. And, you know, you often just see it as, um, it's just really empowering. I think for everyone involved to, to just be able to say, okay, we're going to leave the things that we grew up with and we're actually going to figure out what works for our family. Yeah. I love that. Such a big differentiating step for probably yeah. like both family systems on either side of the couple. Like that's pretty yeah. fascinating. Oh, I love that so much. Do you find a specific age group that comes to you more than another that is in the undiet, like wants to work on their undieting? Or is it is it really a range? Yeah, I kind of have a self-selected sample because of the, the you know, yes. the, stage that I that I tend to see. But I often find that women who have spent their whole life dieting, you know, when they get to their 40s and they whether they want to change or feel like they have to change or something needs to change, they're often doing it because they they see for maybe the first time how disordered their relationship with food is. Yeah. And you know, if they have children or if they have other people in their life that they feel that they have influence over, you know, they're like, I don't want this for my kids. Mm. I don't want this for my niece. I don't want this for whoever I'm with. Like, you know, I, one of the, the most common refrains is I'm so frustrated that I've spent my whole life yeah. dieting, trying to control food, and I still don't know what to eat. How did I get to be 40 and still not know what to eat? Mm. And I think it's a bit of a midlife awakening that happens on many levels with many things. Um, and food is just part of that. And yeah. um, and I feel really lucky when I can be kind of part of that that change. But I do think that there's something about perimenopause and just how it shakes mm. everything up and just yeah. calls into question everything yeah. um, that prompts a lot of people to change. Yes, that's it's so true. Listeners, we were talking about perimenopause and menopause just before we hit record. And I was sharing with Jen how I'm in the throes of perimenopause, which I can't remember if I've actually said before. Um, and it's just such a trip and a ride and not one that I'm enjoying very much at all. And I have to say my relationship with my body is changing. And I've even had thoughts recently where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on my deathbed and I'm going to be regretting how much time I spent worrying about my body and what other people, I think other people are thinking about it. And that's, I'm like, okay, that's information for me, you know, and because that for me leads into the whole exercising and um, nutritional piece and my relationship with food. And it's, there does, something does happen when you're in your forties. Or when you start heading into perimenopause, you know, I know for me, it's like, okay, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of the way I've been living. And so I'm, I want to change. And even though I've been trying to make all of these changes, now it's really hitting home. And, and the hitting home piece is I want more grace 
and I want more love and compassion for myself versus I just want to look really good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, one of the, I think the, my favorite quotes that I've heard is that, you know, when we think of people that we love and admire when they pass away, do we ever remember what they weighed? No. And that's so true, right? Never, never. No, I, I always have to remind myself about, um, you know, there's moments where I'm like, okay, you know, I have an amazing tribe. I have people that just love me so much and I feel their love. They don't love me because of my body. You know, they love me because of who I am. And that's who I love myself to be too, is, is who I'm in the world. I'm very conscientious of that. And so how does food and it just gets so caught up in there. And so it's really learning to take a step back for me, at least take a step back. And by no means am I perfect. I still need support here. And it's, it's a journey for sure. Yeah. Cause I know like I was, I mean, I was growing up, food was very restricted for us. Yeah. You know? And then I think anybody who is in their forties now grew up at a time when we were starting to reach like peak information about food. Yeah. And, you know, we really were trying to like manufacture the best food, but we also really started demonizing foods, mm-hmm. you know, fat and carb and sugar. And, yes. um, and, and I think that the people who were raising us, our parents or whoever that was, were very much caught up in that. Yeah. Um, which, so yes. that's, you know, kind of became part of our default programming too. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. It's yeah. Cause even as you say that, I'm like, Oh yeah. Yep. Check. I check that box. <laughs> check that one. Check yes. that one. Yes. I even know my dad. So my dad is, has lung cancer, um, terminal cancer. And he's, um, he said to me one day, not, uh, maybe a few months ago, he said, you know, if you guys find that I'm like starting to gain weight, you just let me know. Okay. And I was like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? And I thought, how, like my heart hurt for him. And I thought, Oh, that's where I get it from. That's a part of it right there. Like I get that. Right. It was really eye opening for me Yeah. about how come I have the relationship with food, right? Because it's something that I've experienced with my parents in different ways. And it was very, it was just a moment for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt really sad because I was like, here, my dad is terminal cancer. And he's still worried about that. And it's the first time I've ever experienced that with him. But I was like, oh my gosh, like I wonder how his relationship has been with himself, his body and food. Like, I don't know. It's, we've never talked about it. So yeah. 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 Really interesting. Yeah. Great conversation. Thank you. Yes. This has been really, really eye opening and really, really great to have this conversation. I think our listeners are going to get a lot of information from this. And um, yeah, how, how can our listeners, first of all, work with you if they want to, and how can they find you? So the best place to find me 
is always going to be on Instagram. Um, uh, yeah. So at menopause.nutritionist, um, you know, that uh, the link in my bio will always have a link to kind of what's going on. I have a group program, a small group program that I run a couple times a year with 12 women, which is very much like a deep dive into your relationship with food. And it's called Beyond the Scale. So kind of really, um, you know, kind of some deep work with with women who have a long history of dieting and are really looking for not just my kind of support, but also the support of, of a community of women. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there's some exciting things in the works for the fall with a community and, um, but yeah, if anybody's interested in either working or learning with me or just kind of some of the free resources that I have for people, um, Mm -hmm. the link on my bio on Instagram is always the best place. That's perfect. Great. That's so great. Jen, thank you so very much for coming thank on. Thank you so much. I've loved it. It's been a really great conversation. Yeah. I'm sure that I'll probably find some other relationships that we can bring you back to talk about. If you're open to that, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully absolutely. Vicky can join us and you can like yeah. connect with us too. It's so sad she couldn't be here. And I also... um I just want to say to our listeners, I'm also sad, double sad that Vicky's not here because I just realized the other day, this, this, this is really big, our two year anniversary of this podcast. So yeah, so exciting. We, we really didn't think we'd make it this far. <laughs> we didn't, we had no idea. Um, so to our listeners, I want to thank you all for stepping in here and staying with us and, um, your support has been just amazing. And we, we really do love you and you're the ones that keep us going here. So thank you so much for, um, for tuning in. Jen, thanks again for being here. And, um, for our listeners, just follow her on Instagram. She makes such amazing reels. Like she's got such great information on her Instagram. So follow her, follow her, follow her. I cannot say enough good things. So. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. All right, everyone. Until next time, be well, be safe. Sending you a lot of love. You can reach me on Instagram at Ariane Moore Official, or you can find out more information about me and my services on my website, ariannemore.com. And you can find me, Vicki Wilburn, on Instagram. My handle is at Masterpiece Counseling, or you can find out more information on my services on my website, masterpiececounseling.com.